Do you ever get a word from the Lord and you don't like it one bit? Do you ever hear from the Lord and you know it's God, but it just, you don't like it? I have. I have multiple times. I'm going to share one story. Uh, in, in the, I think it was 1990, 91, I was praying about uh, attending uh, Oral Roberts University, a Christian college, and I was playing football at the time, and, and I was just seeking the Lord, and I wanted to know that I knew that I knew that I knew that it was the Lord. So I was, I was searching for, you know, oftentimes I'll talk about like the Sean Connery voice of God, like the Scottish accent voice of God. Um, I, and so I went, I went to a quiet place right here from the Lord. So I went to the spot in the beach, uh, in Redondo Beach, California. Um, and I was just listening. And I'm listening and I'm listening and I'm just quiet. And I hear nothing. So as I'm sitting there, I'm just kind of flipping sand, you know, just, Lord, I'm listening, I'm listening. I'm like, okay, Lord, now I'm looking, I'm looking. So I'm looking for a shooting star. I'm looking for a dolphin carrying a sparkler. I'm looking for, like, the Pacific Bank whale coming up and, like, you know, I'm looking, I'm looking for something, a pirate ship, you know, to emerge from something. And I, honestly, I'm getting frustrated. I'm like, you know, yeah, you speak my butt. You know, you're not speaking, and I'm, I'm getting frustrated. And the Lord speaks to my heart, and he says just two words. A- and he says it in a very specific tone. Just stop. And I look down, and I realize the flipping of the dirt. I've dug this hole, you know, probably nine, ten inches deep, just, and in those simple words, just stop. I knew he was saying, just stop trying to talk yourself out of it. You know what I've spoken. Just stop trying to to, to talk yourself out of, of what I've already said I want you to do. Just stop digging that hole. Just stop. Stop looking for a sign when I've already spoken it to you. I've already embedded it in your heart. Just stop. If you want to turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel 16, uh, we're going to read and we're going to kind of unpack a couple different words that that God gave to his prophet Samuel. And uh, we know for a fact we see that there's at least one word here that old Sammy didn't like very much. 1 Samuel 16, I'm going to start in verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul? How long will you grieve over King Saul? Since I have rejected him from being king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. So Jesse in Bethlehem. For I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? How can I go, Lord? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do and you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. 
God speaks very directly, very bluntly to Samuel and says, you've mourned for Saul long enough. I've rejected Saul as king. The Lord's telling him, I've moved on and now you need to move on too. This is a very direct word. When we're talking about mourning and grieving, um, a lot of times, you know, we, we think of the compassion of the Lord and the goodness and the grace. And here we see the urgency of the Lord saying, stop mourning, move with me on what's next. That stings a bit. Saul couldn't have liked hearing that very much. And you know what? Even us in this place, maybe we have a tough time hearing that going, where's the love in that? It might seem harsh. It might seem mean. But we see in Ecclesiastes 3.1, we're told that for everything there's a season and a time for every matter under heaven. In verse 4 it even says, there's a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. What's our reaction when God tells us it's time to make a change? What's our reaction when God tells us it's time to move with me? And we're going somewhere new. It's time to work, so let's go. It's time to rest, so take a load off. Get up. It's time to dance. Take my hand. Celebrate with me. Trust me. You've mourned a hard loss. So take my hand. Walk with me into something new. Walk with me into something really good. But trust me. And he clearly tells Samuel, no more mourning. Move on. It's time to anoint for me a new king. So how does Paul respond? His emotions are raw. He's mourning. And then he gets this word from the Lord, which has a very fearful component. So he responds in fear. He responds, you know, from the, the rawness and the reality of, of his emotions. But here's the thing. He responds. He responds to the Lord. When God gives us a new command, we don't always respond in faith. We don't. There's times we've got to process it. There's times it stings. There's times we're trying to make sense of it, and we're not going to make sense of it because this is a God thing, not an us thing. And so God speaks something, and sometimes we're a little slow on the uptake. We're a little slow in our response. But here's the key. God wants us to respond. And you know what? Paul's right. Or I'm sorry, um, Samuel's right. Samuel's right. What, what he thinks Saul, King Saul will do, he's, point, he's spot on. If Saul hears that I'm going to anoint another king, he's going to kill me. And, and Samuel's right. So the Lord gives him a strategy. The Lord says, okay, here's what you're going to do. We're going to go do a sacrifice. Now, this isn't a, a, a sacrifice uh, of, of purity and sin. This is a sacrifice of peace. So in doing so, um, a portion of the, the sacrifice will be burnt up completely under the Lord, and then part of it, it gets cooked, and then they feast together, okay? So this is the type of sacrifice. He's like, go and say, this is what we're doing. 
So God gives us a plan. And he says, make your sacrifice for me among the people and invite them to be a part. So again, I'll ask, how do we respond when God calls us to something challenging and uncomfortable? It challenges us to something and calls us to something where we can't connect the dots. Where we can't be the one to figure this out. Where we can't be the one, oh, oh, Lord, you're spot on. Like, Lord, way to, way to give that word. That's, that's totally right there in my wheelhouse. I'm going to crush this. I'm going to crush that, Lord. That's a good call. That's not what he does very often. He does something that's going to stretch us, that's going to challenge us, where that his bigness is seen, not our wonderful strengths, our competencies. The key is to respond. And how do we respond? Yeah, I think of Mary, and I love Mary's response when she is standing before Gabriel, and Gabriel says, you're going to have a child, and he's going to rule uh, the seed of your ancestor David. He's going to rule, and, and his name is going to be called Jesus. Her, her response, once again, is questioning God, but it's fantastic. She says, um, how will this happen? Because I'm a virgin. But regardless, I'm the servant of the Lord. So let it happen to me according to what God says, not according to what I understand. That's what she says. She says, I don't know how it's going to happen. I'm a virgin. But regardless, I'm your servant above all. So let it, let it happen. As you say, even though I, it doesn't make sense to me. Friends, we can question God. I'm, I'm just letting you know we can. We can question God. He doesn't get offended by that. He doesn't turn and run. He doesn't storm off. He doesn't get mad at you for questioning his authority. We can question God. But here's the key, and it brings us to point one of my message. Point one, we can question God, but we're to do so with sincerity, not defiance. With sincerity, not defiance. Lord, I don't understand. How is is this going to happen? And we've opened up dialogue with the Lord, and now he responds. In, in Job, to my count, there were 77 times that Job questioned the Lord with the question, why? Why? Why'd you do this to me? I've been faithful. Why did you? Why, 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 why? He asked him why. And God doesn't answer any of those because the questions that Job was asking were out of a place of defiance saying, justify your actions to me, God. That's what what his why questions were. Justify why you've done this when I've been true to you, when I've been good to you, when I've been faithful to you. Justify yourself to me, Lord. And you guys, that's... The Lord's under no obligation to answer those type of questions. But if you're like, Lord, what, what do you want me to do with this? 
Lord, I, I feel so broken. What do you want me to do? How do you want me to respond? What do you want me to see? Man, those are fantastic questions. Number one, we can question God, but we must do so with sincerity, not defiance. Back to Samuel, verse 2. And Samuel said, how can I do that? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice. And I will show you what you shall do and, and who to anoint as king. And you shall anoint for me him who I declare to you. This is interesting because Saul was chosen for the people. They wanted a king. They were insistent. They wanted a king. And Samuel anointed Saul as king. But it was king for the people. And now God is saying, I want you to anoint a king for me. I want you to anoint a king that has my heart. He's a man after my own heart. He's a worshiper. Point number two, God only gives us part of the plan. To get the rest, we must trust and obey. Boy, it'd be nice if he just laid out a map. Here. Okay, Mark, you're here. And here's where you're going to end up. And here's the route you're going to take. And he just maps it out for us. And it has some setbacks. And, oh, there's bridges out, so we got to go. And he maps it out. Boy, wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be nice, this, this wonderful task of walking without any faith at all? Of walking without any trust at all? Of walking without any dependence at all? Because the Lord just wonderfully laid it out there for us. Wouldn't that be great? But that's not what our God does. He says, I'm giving you this much. Trust me in that. Do that. Different times the Lord's like, hey, Mark, I, I, want you, I want you to pray for Shannon. I want you to pray for Shannon. I'm like, absolutely, Lord, I'll pray for, for Shannon. What do you want me to pray? And then crickets. Crickets. Why? Because he already told me what he wants me to do. Now, my next step is what? Get up and go over to her and say, hey, I, I'm here, friend, I'm here to pray for you. I feel like the Lord said he wants me to pray for you today. I don't care if I don't even have an inclination of what it is I'm supposed to pray. I go over there and then I trust the Lord to give me the rest. That is what faith is. It's a step that is beyond ourselves in him where we trust him for the results. God only gives us part of the plan. In this story, God is incredibly detailed until he's not. Wonderfully detailed until he's not. He says, hey, fill your, your horn, fill your flask with oil. You're going to go anoint somebody. In fact, you're going to anoint a king for me. So go to Bethlehem. So God's man, he's cranking out the details. Go to Bethlehem. You're going to find a guy named Jesse. Jesse's got sons. You're going to anoint for me one of his sons as king. And that is detailed. He knows where he's going. He knows what he's looking for. He's detailed until he's not. Why didn't God just continue to spell it out? Hey, he, he has eight sons. 
You're going to see seven of them. They're tall, they're big, they're strong, they're handsome. They're going to look like very kingly type candidates. But the one you're going to anoint for me is David. He's going to be in the field with the sheep. So you're going to have to tell Jesse to send for David. And then you're going to anoint David. But God does not do that. He just says, one of Jesse's sons is who you'll anoint. God often gives us very specific starting instructions. And then he expects us to obey, to trust and obey and take that step. I remember another time after I'd been at ORU, when I graduated from ORU, and I loved Tulsa. I loved it. I had like three jobs that made like a full-time income. It was awesome. I was a youth pastor. I was a football coach. I was a graphic designer for a sign shop. And I was doing it all. It was awesome. My, my rent at my apartment was like a buck fifty a month. Gas was like a penny. I mean, cost of living in Tulsa was awesome. I loved it. Great place to get a steak. Big art community. Loved it. And, and, but I'm like, Lord, you know, where's my wife? Like, I, I didn't have my wife. I'm like, Lord, I, where's my wife? You know, I want to be, I want to be a, a husband. I want to be a father. And once again, I love the relationship I have with the Lord. He responds, he's like, you don't deserve her. Grow up. So don't sit there and tell me God wouldn't say that because that's not a very loving response. That was an incredibly loving response. You don't deserve her. You don't deserve my daughter. Grow the heck up. And I knew exactly what he meant because I wasn't putting him first. He wasn't first in my life. There were all these compromises in my life. And he's like, no, no, she's believing for a man of God. You're not that man of God. Grow up. Grow in me. So I made some changes, man. I made, I said, okay, Lord, I, I repented. And then lo and behold, I get offered a job to move to Denver, Colorado, leaving Tulsa where I loved taking a job at a mega church, doing their graphic design. I had one friend out here. Lord, is this you? He's like, yeah, it's me. Yeah, it's me. And I came out here and a few months later met my wife at that job that I took. But I had to step out in faith and trust him for the next things. He didn't say my wife was there. He just said, yeah, this is me, go. Faith and trust. God wants us to to walk out our faith knowing and believing that he is faithful. He's more faithful than you. He's more faithful than me. Me in my best day. He's more faithful. And he wants us to walk by faith. You guys, and it's a vital part of our walk with him. It's a vital part of growth. It's a vital part of maturing in him. We don't grow if we don't walk by faith. If we don't walk into the power of the Holy Spirit, following the leading of God, we don't grow and we're hugely limited in how we can be used by God. But when we say, yes, Lord, and we walk by faith, 
He expands. And we fall into alignment with this purpose and he uses us. Verse 4, the first part of that says, So Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. Point number three is do what the Lord commands. Do what the Lord commands. Lord, I I don't have um, money to pay our rent, to pay our mortgage. Lord, what what can I do, Lord? What should we do, Lord? We don't have money. We're going to get kicked out. And the Lord responds with, I I need you to forgive your dad. Lord, you're not hearing me. I said, I don't have money. And he goes, I heard you. Forgive your father. What does one have to do with the other? In our eyes, nothing. But in God's, his ways are not our ways. Will you be obedient? Will you trust? Do what the Lord commands. So back in verse 4, Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him and trembling, trembling, they said, do you come peaceably? So you can read the previous chapter. You can read 1 Samuel 15 uh, on your own time. Um, Cliff notes full of spoiler alerts. The Lord tells Saul, um, you're going to go to battle with the Amalekites. And the Amalekites had been ruthless to Israel, like murderous and ruthless. And and God tells Saul, you're going to wipe them out. You're going to bring them, I think he says, to utter devastation. You're going to take them all out. You're going to kill them all, including the goats, the sheep, the oxen. Lord, not the oxen. Yes, the oxen, all of them. So... Saul was more interested in pleasing people and bringing home a trophy or two than he was in obeying God. So he didn't. He kept, he kept the king alive. He kept Agag, king, uh, Agag, Agog, kept him alive. Trophy. Kept the finest of the animals as a trophy. And, and, and then later on, when confronted, said, oh, I was going to present them as a, as a sacrifice to the Lord. And this is when Samuel says... To, to obey is better than sacrifice. To obey the Lord is better than the sacrifice you'd bring him. He didn't ask for a sacrifice. He asked you to do this and you didn't. And that's what disqualified Saul. That's the moment that the Lord said, I, I reject him. Okay? So you can go back and read it. But I, that, that's it's pretty accurate what I gave you there. But read it anyway. It's good stuff. It's, it's like disturbing stuff, but good stuff. So they said, do you come peaceably? That's why they are trembling and saying, do you come peaceably? Because Samuel was just... So what he does to Agag, he takes a sword and hacks him into pieces before the Lord. That's, that's an exact quote. So Samuel hacked Agag into pieces before the Lord. So they're trembling like, All right, do you come in peace? He's like, yeah, I come in peace. Are you sure? Because we heard about the last guy. He's like, no, we're good. Yeah, we're good. We're doing a sacrifice. Verse 5, And Samuel said, Peaceably, I come peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. 
when they came. This is Jesse and his sons. When they came, he looked at Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Point number three was do what the Lord commands. Point number four is understand that the Lord doesn't see things the way we see things. Man, I'm completely unqualified to be a pastor. Or I was. Graphic designer. Went, went to a Christian college, but I didn't go for pastoral studies. I got my degree in graphic design. When the Lord called me, he didn't say, okay, now go to seminary. He just said, will, will, you, will you serve me? And will you pastor? Will you, will you lead my sheep? Never disqualify yourself from the purposes of God. Never look at your own appearance and say, I'm not handsome, I'm not tall, I'm not this, I'm not that, and disqualify yourself because God sees things and God sees people different than we do. Man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. That's why he chose David. He chose a man after his own heart. If we don't see things in people the same way that God does, how in the world are we supposed to know how God sees them? How do we know how God sees this situation? That we look at this situation and we say, Lord, all I see is destruction. All I see is frustration. Lord, this is going to rip my family apart. Lord, this... This is nothing but death and you allowed it, Lord. How in the world are we going to see how God sees that situation? How could we possibly see how God sees that situation? We ask him, Lord, you know how I see it. And it and my heart's troubled, Lord, and I'm I'm scared. Lord, how Show me, how do you see this situation? What do you see in this situation? And we ask God what he thinks about the situation. He might respond, I don't see an obstacle at all, my boy. I see an opportunity. I see opportunity. Don't see it as an obstacle, it's an opportunity. People are going to be blessed in the midst of this. They're going to see my faithfulness. People are going to come to know me. You're going to be elevated. Trust me. And don't look with your eyes. Trust me to guide you as I see it. That's why we follow him. Because he sees it differently. And we're like, Lord, it's a clear path. Lord, there's the doors. It's a clear path. Wouldn't it surely be better to take that path? But see, God sees it differently than we do. And he wants us to trust him. Understand that the Lord doesn't see things the way that we see them. We talk, we obey, and we do whatever he might ask. So verse 8, 
Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. By the way, the indication here and what we're seeing, it's not like Samuel's telling Abinadab or Eliab. Nope, 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 not him. Nope. He's saying this to Jesse. No, that's, no. Bring the next son. Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made the Shema pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Oh boy, what now? Samuel, the king slaughtering maniac, said, Bring me your sons. Surely Jesse brought all of his sons, right? Samuel had a problem. Because God told him, I have chosen for myself a, a son among, a king among the sons of Jesse. And now here comes the sons of Jesse, and they come and went. And none of them were to be chosen. Uh, Jesse? I know this sounds crazy because I told you to bring me all your sons, so I trust you did it. But do you have any other sons? Oh, yeah. The young one. He's out in the field tending to the sheep, which is a servant's responsibility, not a son's responsibility. But it shows that they probably weren't a very wealthy family, so someone had to do it. Might as well be the, the youngest. Oh, yeah, yeah, I got another, David, the youngest. Why do you ask? God told you to bring all your son. Here's the cool thing. Samuel knew there must be another son. How did he know that? Because he heard from the Lord. The Lord said, I'm anointing one of these sons. Seven sons passed before him. He shot them all down. The Lord said, nope, 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 nope. Samuel heard from the Lord and he believed it. So clearly, there must be another son. What would we do? What would we do in this situation? Well, hey, Jesse, um, and I hate to do this. Can you line them up all over again? I just, can you have them kind of go through? I mean, we would question God. We would question ourselves. We would question our ability to hear from God, right? Instead of going, no, I heard from God. This is what we're doing. Verse 11, then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down to eat. We will not feast together. We will not eat together until he comes here. Point number five, believe the word of the Lord. Believe the word of the Lord. God said that the son of Jesse would be anointed. And Samuel believed it. He believed God. Verse 12. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise. Anoint him, 
for this is he. The Lord says, yep, that's him. That's him. Arise. I I don't know why Samuel was seated. Maybe he had gotten weary in the process. Like, boy, I said bring all your sons. You didn't bring all the sons. I still think that Saul might kill me for this. He's going to hear about this somehow. Maybe he was just weary from killing a king. He was weary from the mourning of someone that he believed in, who now the Lord has said he was rejected. But either way, he stood. And he obeyed the Lord. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And David rose up and went to Ramah. So here's what's pretty cool. This wasn't a production. There's no indication that there was a, any sort of production here. There was no indication that Samuel said, Behold, this is the new king of Israel. There's no indication that he even gave any instruction to David at all. Because that's not what the Lord said to do. The Lord said, anoint him for me. Not for man, not for people this time. Anoint him for me. There's no indication his brothers knew what this kind gesture was that this probably crazy prophet was doing. But Samuel was just being honest and, and, and true to what the Lord had said. And he anoints David. There's no indication that David at this moment knew that he was being anointed as king. We see the actions as we continue to, to read in Scripture and the brothers still treat him like he's a little punk. The, the brothers certainly don't treat him like a king. The, the dad still treats him like he's an errand boy, which I find this interesting. Twice David mentions his mom, calls her the, the, the servant or the, like the, the maiden servant of the Lord. Twice he mentions her. But, you know, his dad seems a little slow on the uptake. But that day the Spirit of God fell upon him, rushed to him, and anointed him. Today, when I was thinking about the the title of the message, because even up till late this morning, I didn't know what the title of this message was. And clearly, we we see a new anointing being upon the life of a new king, that Samuel was to anoint a new king. But I want you to know that if we're crying out to the Lord for a new anointing, these five things are among some of the things that the Lord is looking for us to trust Him in. Point one, we can trust. I want to read all five of them to you just in case you missed it. We can question God, but we must do so with sincerity, not defiance. And if we're believing God for a new anointing upon our lives, then let it, let it be with gratitude and sincerity and love, trusting Him for the results. Number two, God only gives us part of the plan. To get the rest, we must trust and obey. Number three, do what the Lord commands. Four, understand that the Lord does not see things the way we see things. He doesn't see people the way we see people. If you're having trouble with someone in the office, ask the Lord, Lord, 
how do you see him? Lord, how do you see him? Because I know how I see him. He's a jerk. I think that's how you see him too. But in case you see him differently, how do you see him? How do you see her, Lord? How do you see this situation, Lord? And then number five, believe the word of the Lord. When he speaks, believe it. When we spend time in his word and the Holy Spirit makes something come alive, believe it. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this written word that we have, just the, the thrill of having immediately at our fingertips for our hearts and, and our eyes to just grab a hold of. But Lord, we also thank, thank you that you're still a God who, who speaks your spoken word to us. And we thank you for that. Help us with listening because a lot of times we get distracted. Help us to hear you. Lord, if you must, then we ask you to be repetitive because sometimes we're, we're distracted. But Lord, we want to hear from you and we, we want to obey you and walk according to your desires. So help us in our faith. Help us in our hearing. Lord, let us know your thoughts and help us to just walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen.